Welcome to the twelfth episode of PH Pod, a podcast brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post. I'm Nick Diamond, managing editor of PHP. In episode twelve of PH Pod, Sarah Cliff offers her thoughts on healthcare reform, coronavirus, journalism in a time of misinformation, and the relationship between healthcare and public health. Sarah Cliff is an investigative reporter for the New York Times, where she focuses her reporting on the American healthcare system and how it works for patients. We start our conversation by revisiting a discussion she had with PHP in 2017. You last spoke with PHP in 2017 after having just interviewed President Obama about the Affordable Care Act. What are your predictions about the Biden administration successfully protecting and building on Obamacare? So it does feel like kind of um, almost come a little bit full circle since then, since we're talking right after President Biden's inauguration. And what I do expect is them to move forward on kind of this suite of changes that Democrats have really wanted to make to the Affordable Care Act. And generally, this is all in the category of making health insurance more affordable and doing that by giving people bigger subsidies. And this is something we've already seen President Biden tackling in its, in its first stimulus plan, that um, $1.9 trillion stimulus, there's a sentence in there, and it's only a single sentence, but it'd be quite important to the Affordable Care Act that would strengthen subsidies, um, basically make um, higher income people eligible for subsidies who are not currently eligible and give stronger subsidies to lower income Americans. I think those are the type of changes that are are quite likely to happen. Um, They're the ones that can command support from a really slim congressional majority of Democrats. If you start getting, you know, into bigger ideas of public option, or, you know, if you want to go biggest, Medicare for all, I think those ones will struggle a little bit. I think another area where he'd like to act is this Medicaid gap that still remains in the dozen states that have not expanded Medicaid. That one's a little bit trickier. So I'd say kind of when I think of what can be done, I, I think the most likely and something that is quite good odds of passing are increasing the ACA subsidies. I think after that comes something like um, trying to fix that Medicaid gap. And I think that's also something most Democrats would be inclined to support. The policy is not quite as clear. But then I think the bigger things, public option, Medicare for all, those are going to be a pretty big lift with, with such a slim majority in Congress. Since our conversation in 2017, you transitioned from serving as a senior correspondent at Vox to now serving as an investigative reporter at the New York Times. One of the issues you continue to cover is high health care costs. I'm curious, what does it say about the political environment and the health care system in the U.S. that you still have to report on these issues? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a never ending series of stories. And that's really even been true through coronavirus, where you have patients with coronavirus encountering all sorts of odd bills. And I think, you know, even going to President Biden's approach to making healthcare more affordable, it's not about lowering the prices, it's about giving people more money so they can afford the really high prices. I think it's still quite true that the United States is the highest prices in the world. There is little political appetite to tackle that because you have such strong interests in favor of those high prices. That being said, you know, there is a bit of a glimmer of hope in legislation that passed at the end of this year. This new ban on surprise medical billing um, is something that actually 
will tackle costs, you know, possibly in a significant way. So, so you see a little bit of hope, but generally, I just think it's the case, and you see this really with the Affordable Care Act, that legislators are much more willing to um, provide coverage and work towards expanding coverage than they are to actually reducing the, the unit price of healthcare in the United States. I'm wondering if you could talk about which policy solutions Congress and the Biden administration should implement to improve accessing affordable health care in this country? If you look at pretty much any survey of marketplace enrollees, the biggest complaint is always affordability. The premiums are too high. The deductible is too high. I think that's really what they're going to be tackling first. And then the other area, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, is how to deal with this Medicaid gap. You've about a dozen states that have an expanded Medicaid. You have millions of people living in those states. Kind of Texas and Florida are really the um, responsible for a lot of the remaining uninsured in the United States. There isn't quite as clear of a policy solution to that, but I think that is one that they're going to be thinking about. Because if you can close that gap, you're getting the Affordable Care Act a lot closer to the, to the original goal of who it was supposed to give coverage to. More than 400,000 people have died from COVID-19 in the U.S. As an investigative journalist, what were the first questions you started to ask about the government's role in responding to the pandemic? Yeah, I personally have been really interested in testing and testing infrastructure and kind of why it has struggled um, so much and why it is even up to this day, you still find instances where it's quite difficult to get a coronavirus test. So I think that's, and it also intersects with a lot of the work I do on billing because a lot of this is running through health insurance. So it's a little bit different than most other countries, whereas here, when you go to the doctor, they're likely going to bill you for it and you're kind of, you could get some surprise bills. Um, so I think that's been a really ripe area of investigation that I've been focused on. I, I have a lot of colleagues who've also been looking at a lot of the systemic failures in, in nursing homes, allowing the spread of it, a lot of the failures on the government to set clear national policy on how to combat coronavirus. And, you know, right now I'm starting, like many of my colleagues, to look at vaccine distribution. And one of the things I'll probably be focused on because it kind of fits into my reporting space is are people facing costs for their vaccines? Um, They're not supposed to, but um, there's many instances where you're not supposed to get billed for something in healthcare, but you inevitably face a bill. So that's something I'm going to be hopefully looking into over the next few months as more people are getting their vaccines. You're a leading health policy journalist who has spent years covering legislative developments. How do you see journalists overcoming the pressing challenges of fake news, misinformation, pandemics that many Americans have come to buy into? Yeah, I think it's certainly a challenge and has become more and more of a challenge the longer I've been a reporter and the more widespread that kind of misinformation gets. For me, you know, what I really try and do is um, kind of give the best information that I can in hopes that it's going to be credible and give people a lot of what I'm working on isn't clearly um, left or right or, you know, doesn't necessarily align with one party. I think one of the nice things about being in the space that I'm in is, um, you know, surprise medical bills and high medical costs kind of cuts across party lines. There's something that frustrates people of multiple political persuasions. Um, but you know, the best thing I can do, I think, is just um, you know, 
try and get information from all sides and present it in a way that I think is fair and gives our readers a you know clear sense of what is going on. But it's certainly a challenge. Um, it, it's much harder to do the job that I do when people can really curate their their news environment. And it's just a constantly changing world that I feel like I'm reporting in. What are your thoughts on the evolving relationship between healthcare and public health? And could you speak about how it has evolved given all that has happened this last year? One of the reasons we were seeing such slow reporting of coronavirus test results is um, the doctors and the public health departments just aren't used to talking to each other. You know, there's no good system they have set up to send information. In many cases, they're sending results by fax machine because that's kind of what they had and was jerry-rigged to um, to do this. But it was a really clear example. You know, I talked to folks in one public health department in Texas where their fax machine was literally sending pieces of paper just like flying across the floor because they're getting so many results being faxed in. I think the coronavirus has kind of exposed and laid bare how public health and healthcare are often thought of as two separate entities in the U.S. But actually, when you have something like a coronavirus pandemic, they need to work much closer together. And I think that's also something you see the Biden administration acknowledging, where they're talking about doing more public health spending, hiring you know a new core of public health workers. It'll be interesting to see if going through this pandemic changes that relationship, because I think it's really shown a lot of the weaknesses and it shows how much weaker it leaves us as a country if you don't have that strong connection between the people providing healthcare and the people doing the public health work. PHPod features conversations with public health influencers. We feature their opinions on topics that may be familiar and sometimes uncomfortable. This podcast series is brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. Every day we feature new articles about the state of the health of the population. Join the conversation on social media and subscribe to the PHP Friday Roundup to receive our stories of the week delivered to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org.